Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fuganaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. Uh, and be sure to check out the Writer's Guild Foundation Masterclass with Courtney A. Kemp, creator and showrunner of the Star's original series, Power, Tuesday, May 17th, where she will talk about the journey and process of creating and running her show, lessons she learned, and more. Details are available on the Writer's Guild Foundation website at wgfoundation.org. But first, we have on the show today a TV writer and author who has written such shows as Cold Case and The Client List. She's currently a writer and executive story editor on Shadowhunters, The Mortal Instruments, on Freeform, formerly known as ABC Family. Her debut novel, a crime thriller entitled Baby Doll, will be released on July 12th, so be sure to check that out. You can buy it on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. Welcome to the show, Holly Overton. Thanks for coming out, Holly. Thank you so much for having me. Um, first things first, uh, we always like to find out your background. I know you're from Texas via Chicago. Or, yes. And you were originally came out to went to New York and then to LA as an actor. It's been a very long journey. Okay. <laughs> uh, right. But what made you first want to work in the entertainment industry? And I know again you came out as an actor and you made that transition to a writer and so you obviously had great success. So how did that all come about? This is a big broad question. Yes, but. yes, yes, yes. Um, well, I was, um, like I said, uh, like you said, I was born in Chicago. Um, I was uh, adopt. My I have an identical twin sister, Heather, um, and we were adopted when we were six days old um, in Chicago. And um, when our parents separated when we were four, we ended up relocating to Texas. And we grew up in a very small town in Texas. We were very shy, and my mother thought theater would help br- bring us out of our shells. Never did she realize that she'd be. Uh, Dooming us to a career in the arts, <laughs> or blessing us, depending on the on the day. Um, and so my sister and I both decided we wanted to be actresses, and um, and we did theater through high school, and then we got into uh, theater conservatory in New York City when we were 19. And so we moved to New York with you know a thousand, I think we twelve hundred dollars and a dream. Nice. Um, and our apartment was. 1650 a month. I still don't know how we managed that. Um, and so did the acting thing and the bartending thing, a lot more of the bartending thing than the acting. And um, after you know going to school and, and you know spending like five years in New York, my mom was like, I think you should go to LA. I think that's where you belong. You enough of this New York business and waiting tables. And uh, and I agreed. And um, she said she'd pay my rent for six months and buy me a car. Um, I think it turned no, she said three months and it turned into six. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I, my sister stayed in New York, and oh. I came here, which was like we called our divorce, because um, you know we'd never spent more than like a week apart as right. twins. And um, I moved out here, and I was doing I was doing the acting thing, and you know anybody who's listening who's been doing the acting thing means you know you get an audition every three months if you're lucky, and taking classes and waiting tables, and but I'd always been writing, um, just kind of secretly and. I would just write things and tuck them away. And, I'd, and um, right before I moved out to New York, I'd written a short um, and used like Trigger Street, which was the, I think, Francis Ford Coppola's um, website. They had this like amazing message board and someone's like, you're formatting this all wrong. And they showed me how to format it. I think they formatted it for me, whoever was on this message board. So you learned to format on a message board. I was like, this is crazy. Like, um, but the person who I can't even—I mean, it's so sad that I don't remember who it was. But whoever it was, I was like, I owe them a great deal of thanks. 
and they were like, this is how you do it, because um, I'd kind of been, I'd taken some nonfiction classes, and I'd written more fiction, and then I entered that short into a short, a, sh a contest I saw in Backstage Magazine, which is for actors, um, and people still bought it, hard copy, and uh, the screenwriter, Steven Sesco, who's written movies like The Grudge, um, lots of, he's done a lot of horror and, and other stuff, um, he was sponsoring this contest for his um, hometown library, and he would pick three writers to mentor um, at, for a year, and I was one of them that he picked. And he really, like, he read all my scripts, helped, like, wrote me this great fundraising letter so I could make a short, which um, didn't do as well as I thought it would, but it was a great experience, and that's really when I got the bug. And he was actually the person um, who inspired me to kind of look at TV uh, because he was like, hey, you know, you definitely have this like very intimate sort of like character-driven style, and you know, this was in 2000 and I think six, um, and that was when they were making less serious dramas and features. Um, which I was writing, and <laughs> even they do now. And so he was like, you know, I really think you should try TV. And it was his encouragement that led me to uh, take a class at UCLA Extension to learn how to write TV, like to just learn how form formatting and formula works and how to break story. And the script that I wrote in that class um, ended up getting me in the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. So that was kind of my journey in a nutshell, which then le led me to uh, my first job, which was Cold Case. Wow, that's great. Um, the fellowships, talking about the writers of the fellowship. Yes. This is the time of year. It's fellowship season. It is fellowship season. <laughs> it's so funny because when I, when I entered, it wasn't a season. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, right. very few people were even talking about the fellowships at the time. Now they get thousands. I mean, you know, and the internet obviously is such a big part of that. Like, and I think social media and people realizing that, like, and I do, I do say, um, that it is, if you can get into a fellowship, and obviously it's, I think it's twice as competitive as when I uh, w was applying in 2008 um, because of the internet and because people are so much more savvy. Um, and the requirements now are even, you know, more strict than when I, because when I was applying, um, it was the cusp of the time where you only needed a spec script of an existing show to get this job, right? You just needed that great, you know, Boston legal spec or that great ER spec um, and uh, people were like you know that's all what, what they were reading so I just needed I, I entered um, I submitted to Warner Brothers and ABC um, a Friday Night Lights spec and that was all you needed and then an interview and then you were in and now you need like a recommendation letter and you need um, two scripts and a pilot and a pilot right? <laughs> um, and I think you know in some ways I think it's good because then I think they know that people are prepared and they know like okay this person Yes, they can capture a voice of a show, but also they have an original voice on their own. So I think that is good, and I think it makes people be a little more ready. I also, but I also think in some ways, these programs were designed to find new untapped talent. And when you require all of those things, you sort of limit that pool to people who have just been working in the business and people who have, um, instead of finding, you know, there was several of us out of my class, myself included, who didn't have any industry connections who hadn't been really working in the business, you know, besides auditioning here and there. Um, but I, Warner Brothers is amazing, and getting into it was like winning the lottery, you know, like the TV writer's lottery. Um, you learn so much, it's like a writer's boot camp, so it's like 
the highs and lows, the best times, the worst times. Um, one minute you're like, I'm the best thing ever, and the next you're like, I'll never work in this town. Right. Um, but I love, I love doing it, and I, you know, I learned so much, and it was, it was such a valuable experience. Because um, you know it is, it, it's run like you know, it's a simulated writer's room. You have to meet deadlines. Um, if if they're not happy with your work, you have to deliver, and um, and I think that's really important. Absolutely. Um, that's actually led sort of into my next question, which is what elements of the fellowship, this boot camp, did you find the most helpful, or were there any parts of it that you that really helped you grow as a writer? Well, I think like, here's the thing, you always wanna be like, I was amazing, and I was <laughs> the best person in the class, but I wasn't. I was probably, like I was, I was like one of the least experienced as far as like working professionally as a writer. So it was really like, it was like I was just, you're thrown into the deep end of the ocean and a lot of the people were, a little bit older than me or they had just like been assist writer's assistants, they'd worked in development, um, they'd gone to graduate school and studied writing so they had all of this knowledge and I was like just struggling to keep, keep up. So I mean I think in some ways my biggest failure in the program was I was writing a closer spec, I'd never really written a procedural, it was a very different world for me and um, I turned in my draft and it was just like this is not good enough and I had to re-break the story um, and rewrite the script in five days. Wow. Um, and you know you're being tested. Like at the end of it, you know there's agents, there's managers, there's potentials for shows. So, you know, I mean, I would never want to relive it because it was like, like I just remember going home and crying to my husband and like, and then, and then like being like, okay, now get up and do what you have to do to rewrite this. Um, and I rewrote the script and obviously it was well received and I think it proved to them that like, okay, if a showrunner was to do this and give her, you know, and tear up a script and, you know, say page one rewrite, she's not going to fall apart. She's going to get, and so in some ways the best part of the experience was also the worst, um, but it definitely taught me the challenges and when I got, you know, onto a show and, you know, on the shows that I've been on and that's happened, okay, I'll rewrite, you know. Well, that's funny that you mentioned you describe it as boot camp because they don't. Yeah, you describe it as boot camp. and I've heard that just yeah. used before. But I know in the military they try to make boot camp, you know, with the screaming drills as hard as possible yeah. because then when you get into the field, very little is as bad as that. So you're able to yeah. handle it. Yeah, and I think like it's funny because you look, you would look at people's journeys in the program, and someone would start out and they're like, they'd be like, we don't like this log line, or we don't even think you should write this show, and they'd have to be like, okay, what am I going to do? And then, you know, you get to the end of the, pro closer to the end of the process like I did, and you're like, oh my God. And so I think everybody sort of had their, like, challenges and, you know, what struggles they had to do. And, you know, for me, it was, it, it was a boot camp, but in the best way possible. Um, because now, too, you also have this network of people who you've worked with. And Chris Mack, who runs the Warner Brothers Workshop, is so committed to his writers. And, you know, he's, he's tough, but when he, when he, uh, you know, chooses people and it's, it's such an intense selection process, he's putting that faith and the faith of the studio behind you. Um, and so you want to succeed. And it is like boot camp in that like, you know what's at stake, you know what you're doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I hope, I think everybody, if they can, I think everybody should apply to these fellowships. Um, and I've met people who are like, oh, you know, like it's too competitive, I'd never get in. Or like nobody really, <laughs> I had one I had one time someone said like, nobody, my, my professor at whatever school said nobody gets jobs in these. And I'm like, please tell your professor to stop telling people that, because <laughs> um, that's not true. Um, I think everybody should at least apply. and. 
there's um, a lot of people will be like, well, I don't want to write a spec of an exi existing show, right? Because an agent or manager isn't isn't going to probably want to read, you know, your Better Call Saul spec. Um, but I think it's such an important thing for a writer to be able to write a spec because yes, you would have the most original voice in the world, but you still have to go in if you're a staff writer or on staff and write the way the show is. And so it's such a great exercise. Um, and if you if you understand that, then your job as a, as a staff writer is so much easier. Right. And I've actually heard from some showrunners, I think it was uh, Vina Sood, um, had mentioned that after reading uh, a spec pilot, she'll often request a second piece of material, a spec of some kind of an existing show, so she can see if you can mimic someone else's voice, not if you only have your own. So on occasion, some showrunners may ask for uh, a spec of an existing show just to see if you can yeah. mimic someone else's voice. Well, and it's funny too, because like after I'd come off of, um, after I'd come off, like because I came in at the in, within the, within the Warner Brothers program with just this like you know, spec, and I hadn't written, like, you know, I I don't want to say I got lucky, because then that, you know, diminishes, like, my, you know, the, the accomplishments that I've had, but um, I got into the workshop with my first spec, and I know that that's very rare, especially because I have friends who've entered these fellowships, you know, several years in a row, um, but I think in some ways I was at a disadvantage because I hadn't written that original pilot, and so after Cold Case, I really, I still had to find who I was as a writer because I was excellent at mimicking, especially a show I loved. So I think, in some ways, I think now it is a good thing because you do have to learn, okay, I, these are the shows I want to write, and these are, the, like, you know, of existing shows, and these are the shows, um, and this is my original voice. So I think they're both just as important. Absolutely. Um, I guess it's slightly different now than then because you didn't have an original pilot required and things of that nature. What sort of tips might you have? Because I'm sure the actual process itself is similar right. um, in terms of your uh, uh, letter of intent kind of thing, oh, interview. Right. Yes, Do you have course. any specific tips for... Yeah, you know, it's funny because I actually... Um, I work with, um, I teach, and um, I'm part of faculty for Script Anatomy, which oh, is, yeah, Tanya, um, you know, Tanya Bhattacharya, yeah. um, her company, and so I've t I teach there, and, um, and I actually do a workshop, I've, this was the second year we did it, where we uh, talk about fellowship essays, mm -hmm. which, you know, everybody has to write the essays, and it's very important, I always talk about, like, knowing your story and knowing who you are, um, because a lot of times people will come in to, you know, they'll be like, oh, I wrote my script, and then they'll, like, put together their essay, or, you know, whatever questions, they're letter of intent and they'll write it like it's like it's corporate America like you know and they'll put all their accomplishments like I went to Harvard and I was like I discovered this cure for thing and I volunteered in the Peace Corps and I think like you know all oh, Peace Corps might be interesting but I think like a lot of times people will use their like professional experience or their like Hollywood connections and I'm like I really think and from my experience, I think it's about knowing your personal story, like that I grew up in Texas, that my father was part of a crime gang, that all of these like, you know, that I'm an identical twin, like all of these things that like have nothing to like, it, you know, I don't go into most job interviews. And I think even when you go into a Warner Brothers or an ABC or an NBC interview for the fellowships, they don't want to hear like that you were at the top of your class or that you worked like because everybody was that, you right. know what I mean? Like so many like. And well, I'll do this exercise in the fellowship essay where I'll ask the in, the, in the workshop where I'll ask the question like, who's done this and who's done that? Who's won a contest? Who's made a film? Who's worked for a showrunner? And like half the room raises its hand, over half. So I'm like, that doesn't separate you and we're all storytellers. So I think it's just remembering when you're applying to these things 
it's a, when they ask for this other additional material, the essays and all of that, they want it, it's another chance to show your writing. So really think about like, am I telling the most interesting story about myself? Because it's like also another example for them to see your writing. And then going into an interview and knowing that um, in corporate America, you know, you have to like wear your suit and you're, you know, um, and like be super formal. But in, you know, in these interviews, they want to see you and they kind of want to see um, who you're going to be in the writer's room. So it's presenting yourself in the way that you would present yourself in a writer's room. Obviously not like showing up in sweats, which you could do or whatever, but. Um, so tuxedo with top Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three pieces. Yeah, exactly. Tails. That'd be amazing. <laughs> the monocle. Um, and uh, so I think, it's, I think it's just like knowing that and knowing that like they might ask you person, more personal questions than you would get in a job interview because right. you do right. spend, you know, hours and hours um, and hours with the same eight to ten people for months at a time and they're betting on you and they you know it's funny because you know they they read all this material and everything and then it really is just a 30-minute interview where they have to say okay I think this person is like someone we're gonna back for this workshop and on every show there they go out for um, and so I think but I think it's just having the confidence and knowing who you are as a writer when you go into those interviews um, that leads me to two more questions you just brought up uh, one being uh, you were in LA already. Yes. Was your interview in person or over the phone? No, it was. Um, it was in. Well, so during fellow during my fellowship season, right. um, it was. Um, I had. Uh, I got the interview uh, in person. Okay. Um, and so I think they interviewed like I don't know, fifteen people, maybe twenty, um, and they picked nine my year, um, and so yeah, it was. And you know, it was one of those things where like. I mean, I had no clue what I was doing, um, and it was maybe 15 minutes, 20 minute interview, you know. And we, it was, it seemed so casual, like talking about my child, you know, family, what I was, what I'd been doing. Um, I was a personal assistant to like a billionaire at the time. Um, that was my survival job, and uh, and so you know, talking about that and you know, being a twin and, and, and then like movies and TV shows I liked and then they're like, okay, well, thank you. And you're like, that's it. <laughs> right. And then you're like, wait, what else? And then you're like replaying the conversation in your head. And then, it, you know, and then two days later the call comes and Chris is very like, you know, he's got a great like poker voice. You can't, you can't tell what he's saying, you know. Does he try to draw it out? He, he didn't draw it out, okay. but he definitely was like, hey, Holly. So, and you're like, it's bad news. Yeah. Like my, my husband was, and I was like, it's <laughs> like it's not good, and uh, and then he was, but he was like, he was like, no, we'd like to invite any. I mean, just those were you're like, I, you know, I didn't even know what I was getting myself into. So, um, yeah, so it was it was all in person, but it was again very quick. I mean, very quick. And I've heard, you know, even now, like it's they're not long interviews. You know, sure. they're um, they're kind of trusting that once they've vetted you through that process, the interview is almost a formality to see how you know what and what you say. And, Will you connect with the mentors or the people that will be supervising you? So, um, and do you remember any of the more interesting questions that they pose to you? I mean, they really, you know, just like what do you see yourself writing? You know, like like um, you know, I liked like darker, edgier sort of character dramas, um, and so knowing that, I think just knowing the marketplace and knowing what's out there and really being as passionate about television you know they don't I don't think they just want you to go in and be like I only watch WB shows like they want to see you know really who you are because that's what they want is original voices in these programs so I think 
there, you know, it's funny because I really wished I could remember the list of questions, but it's, it's, it's the same way when you go into like, you know, a general meeting or you go into, it's really about getting to know you and kind of like where you come from as a storyteller. Uh, it's not, because it's not, you know, it's not like, it's not like, you know, if you're a scientist or a banker where they want to like prove, you know, they just want to hear, because I think too, when we meet people who are, we think are great storytellers, they just instantly engage us. And I think it's that. Um, so I think if you're a writer who's not naturally inclined, because you know, a lot of us aren't, you know, like I just want to be in my bubble and why, like even now pitching, I'm like, I can, I, I can do it and I'm good at it, but I still hate it. Um, cause I was like, I just want to be writing and telling stories. So I think it's like, if you're not that, like knowing that you need to like find your way to be comfortable and talk and, and express yourself as well in person as you do on the page. Right. That's good advice. Um, yeah. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least bring up Shadowhunters. Oh, no, Shadow of Hunters course fans. we have to bring up Shadowhunters. Um, and uh, for those who don't know, it was based on the Mortal Instruments series of novels. Yes, by, by Cassie Clare. Yeah, and uh, you guys have been renewed for a second season, so there's more Shadowhunters yes, to come. Yes, 20 episodes. So. Yeah, that's great. Um, and for those who haven't seen the show or, or the film Mortal Instruments, City of Bone, um, and don't know the world, maybe you can just quickly explain what the show Sure. Yeah. So um, it's a sci-fi, obviously sci-fi, a supernatural drama, um, and it's about a young girl, um, uh, Clary Frey, who discovers in the in the series she's younger um, she's younger in the books, but in our show on her 18th birthday she discovers that she's a shadow hunter, which is like half angel, half human. Um, and um, it's about her journey into this world of vampires and werewolves and um, and it's this you know epic love story fantasy uh, which is really cool it's like you know we've got special effects we've got um, but I think really what I drew, drew me to it was yes all of that is great but it's the character relationships that um, Cassie Clare created with them um, there's such there's so many like love triangles um, there's great friendships there's like a great um, in the in the show in the book um, Clary's mother you know was a shadow hunter and wanted to keep her from this world because um, it was so dangerous and so there's a great mother-daughter element that I really that really appealed to me so it's kind of got when I said I like want to write dark and you know like you know uh, dark dramas it's got all of that but then with the great fantasy element where you're like I get to write like I get to write a, like fight scenes and all of those things that I kind of never expected but really love and what is it like writing a show that has so much source material already there and having to adapt that for television and also there's a feature there and there's a huge fan base already in place how much do you try to stay true to the material so that the fan base doesn't get upset but yet <laughs> yeah. you have to tell a separate story right I mean you know it was it's, it was a very delicate balance and and our the creator and our showrunner a Dector um, was really aware of that and I think we were all we wanted to be respectful to the series and also to the movie um, but we also wanted to um, bring something new uh, one because we do have such a like large existing fan base that if we just told the story straightforward there'd be no surprises there's um, and so I think the fans initially especially the books were kind of concerned you know they were like getting tidbits of like this is different and this is um, but I think by the end of the season, they really saw that, like, even if we made certain changes, it was always, we were always in keeping with the spirit of the books. And, you know, everybody on staff has read the, the books, and we all love them. And um, and so anytime, and, you know, just, just uh, but keeping the, keep, keeping the surprises coming, I think that was really important for us as well. 
um, but the integrity of the characters and their relationships and um, Cassie set up such great dynamics between everybody that that was never going to change like all of the love stories and the romance and everything so it's all of that is very true to the books and will continue to be so um, you know you just especially when it's um, when it's for television too the books are very like you know it's very internal in her head and so we had to go step outside of that so we can show other characters which also gives us a lot more freedom um, and allows us to be able to talk to, to hopefully create a lot more so many more episodes and you know many more seasons right and I know you can't really talk about the second season yet because you're not even in the writer's room yet. They right, haven't even right. started. Um, but is maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience writing on the show. What sort of challenges, like any specific stories? And yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, I think, it, I think the challenge when you're doing a fantasy of any type, and I mean, you know, there's so many great fantasy shows on Game of Thrones and The 100 and all of that. Um, but I think too, especially when you have a book, there is so much mythology and material and backstory. So I think, you know, it was a challenge for all of us, um, you know, when the show first started, which is like, how do you condense this, right? How do you drill it down so that it's, um, and I think, you know, the first couple of episodes, you're, you're laying the groundwork and the foundation. Um, so that was probably the biggest challenge. But as we got in, I think we all had, like, it was a lot more fun because we could, like, spend a little bit more time with these characters or, or amp up a relationship like you know with certain characters in the and that aren't kind of seen until maybe the third book but we bring them in in like the third or fourth episode so i think that was the that, that's both the challenge and the fun of it um as far as like the writing process and how the show like the writer's room is run um ed is you know very inclusive with all of his writers everybody has a voice which is great um sometimes you work on shows where it's you know it's very like um there's a high, there's a strict hierarchy and um, and you, you, you know, it's important to follow that if that's the showrunner, but you really, like, everyone's opinion matters, so it really, you really have ownership, and if you're writing an episode, um, he wants you to take that ownership and pitch as much and bring in as much as you can, so it really gives you a sense of, like, this is my episode as opposed, to, and then, you know, but we break every episode together, all the writers are in the room, except the ones that are away writing. Um, and we, we, you know, we put it up on the on the whiteboard and we pitch it until it's ready and then the writers set off to outline. And it's it's just, it's a great process because um, it's such a team, it's such teamwork, you know, you really are building it together. Um, and, and of course that comes from having a great leader, you know, who also trusts his staff to like deliver his vision. Right, well that's great. Yeah, I mean you hear different stories definitely. Yeah, and you know, and I mean I know people work on different shows and and it's but um, especially with a show this big, I think it's like it would be very hard, you know, cuz he's like doing editing and going to set and in Toronto and doing that. So, um, and just allowing us to like really like, you know, especially if you're like I love this character, I want to, you know, um, if and you have a reason why he he's like he gets behind that too and he gets just as excited. Any Fun stories from set or anything. Oh, like uh, see, I don't know. I mean, the thing—the the best part about being on a on a new show—and um, you know, the cast is is young, and so some for some of them, this is their their you know biggest thing or their first thing, and they're all friends, um, and they're all so dedicated and driven, and they like show up to set prepared, and they work so hard training and doing the fight scenes and. Um, and they just show up and they're excited to come to work um, and they're excited about the stories we're telling so obviously that makes your job sure. so much better because you're like you know they're like oh we love doing this and 
um, and you're like, we all know how lucky we are to get to do this, and you're watching these great actors do these fight scenes and do these like, you know, these these you know big epic love stories. So uh, yeah, I mean, I can't think of any any. I mean, we, they all just everybody just bonds. Like you know, we would do live tweeting, and then we'd all go out to dinner afterwards. And so I think that's kind of unusual, you know, right. for a show. And um, yeah, they're just they're just they're such a great group of actors. It's really exciting. Because I, I just started reading Difficult Man, um, which is a book about sort of that the late 90s HBO explosion right, sort of right, leading right, right. to a whole new uh, golden age of television, basically. Uh, and it, the, in the, even in the prologue, you're talking about actors, uh, about The Sopranos, how Edie Falco is able to turn it on and off like a light switch. I've heard of right. certain actors that can do that, like Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. She would come to set, you know, do an emotionally draining scene, go to her trailer, play with her golden lab, and everything yeah, is fine. Yeah. She's Edie and not. Yeah. You know. uh, where, but apparently, um, uh, James Gandolfini. Yeah, had had much had a much harder time with it. Yeah. Was was very much a method actor and struggled, <clears throat> and you know, had to be in character on the set and off the set. Yeah. And so he was very challenged, challenging to work with, but it was for a professional reason, not just out of, you know, ego, vanity, or some sort right. of other, you know, issue that he may have had personality-wise. So to have a cast that is... Yeah, I and there, I mean, there's no ego. Everybody shows up ready to work. Yeah. And everybody's, like, is very prepared. And so um, it's, and, you know, it's, it's just, it makes, it makes writing for the, you know, you're like, you're, and you, because you know how excited they are. So it's, it's um it's a, it's a great experience as far as that goes. Um, now let's talk about your book. Yes, baby do. doll coming out <laughs> July twelfth. Yes. Um, what is it about? I know it's a, it's um, a crime thriller. It's a crime thriller. Uh, so it's about um, identical twins, which I went really far outside myself right. for my first <laughs> book. Um, but it's about identical twins, um, Abby and Lily Riser, uh, and at sixteen, Lily goes missing. Um, and which for her twin sister and her mother and everybody is devastating. Um, and the, but the book starts when she manages to escape where she's been and she returns home um, to her family, her twin sister. Uh, and the book is the aftermath, you know, it's, it's what happens next uh, to the family. Um, and it's also, you know, who did it and why, and, you know, sort of the justice that will come from, uh, this kidnapping. But I, it's funny because when I wrote it, I, I wasn't necessarily like, I'm writing a crime thriller. I really wanted to, you know, tap into my relationship with my sister. And so I still kind of consider it like a love story, you know, between these two sisters and sort of like the survivor tale of, you know, and like kind of at the end of the day, what will get you through something so horrible. And, um, because there had been other, you know, obviously other books that dealt with, you know, the captivity issue. But to me, it was, you know, we don't, it's, it's, it's not exploitative, I don't think. Um, it's really about, like, family and survival. Absolutely. No, and I think that the twin angle, I think, makes it much more interesting. Exactly. Well, and, you know, it's funny because it's, like, all these things, you know, that my sister and I have dealt with. And, like, you know, we, you know, we separated for five years. And, and um, and then you know when she moved to LA, like we, we picked right up where we left off, and um, and I think just like it's such a unique relationship, and like a friend of mine read the book, 
read an early draft and she was like, but I mean, like, you guys aren't this mean to each other. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, it might have been like lessened in the book. Like, because right. we can, you know, you can just be so, the things you'll say to your sister, like, I'm like, don't wear that, it makes you look fat. Like, like, right. like someone's like, wow, you just said that right out. And like, and I think that that was the fun stuff to be able to play to sort of incorporate that into the book. But um, yeah, so it's been, it's been very exciting uh, to see as it's preparing to be launched into the world. And what was that, I don't want to say transition, because it means you're going from one stage to another, right. but, uh, and you're obviously still, uh, obviously a TV writer, yeah. <laughs> uh, but what was that like writing a novel while you were still working in well, the television so world? In some ways, I was not working in TV, but it was not, it was not my choice. Um, I had uh, come off of the client list, um, I'd been on two seasons of that, and then it was canceled, and I had a hard time landing a new job and you know for a myriad of reasons I think it was a very like female-centric show and there was sort of you know it was I think it was sort of less respected than some other you know serious dramas out there even though I loved writing on it and um, the Shadowhunters showrunner Ed Dector was the showrunner on Client List the last season um, that I was on it and that's how I ended up on that show so I was super grateful for the opportunity but I was just sort of like feeling sort of stuck creatively and I just so I really just decided to as an experiment see if I could write a novel um, while I was pitching shows and interviewing for other things um, and developing this pilot that I had um, and so it was like me writing 90 pages and then being like what is this and my sister saying to me like I was like can you print this out and she was like all right and then I was like but don't read it and of course yeah, she that did. Never and works, like, yeah, right. no, like don't read it. And Print this like, out, but don't read yeah, it. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly. And then she's like, "This is really good." And I was like, "Oh, it's just I don't even know what it is." And she was the one like, "No, no, no, you should take a class," and um, which I did. And uh, I worked with a, an instructor and a novelist, um, Eduardo Santiago. He's like, "You don't have to mention me every time." And I'm like, "I do. You're like my guru," um, who really sort of helped me make that transition. Like because you do sort of get stuck in your TV world where I'm like, she was devastated. And he's like, uh, devastated works when you're like, have an actress and we can show her face and she's devastated. But like, you know, show us on the page. What does that look like? What is like, um, paint the picture for us. Um, and taking his class, um, I reworked the first 50, 60 pages. And then it was sort of like, now I, and, and then I started to find it. And he sort of guided me along the way throughout um, even so much as you know, we worked privately, um, and he was. I would send him pages, and towards the end of like, I was I was like almost done with the last half of the first draft, um, but I was also getting married and planning my wedding, and I was not working in TV at the time, still interviewing, and, uh, and I was like, oh, I just I can't afford to to pay you right now. Like it's just you know. And he was like, I don't even care. I'll read it for. I'll read it. And when you get a job, you can pay me. Like, I want to see this to the end. We're so close. And uh, and so then I finished the novel, and um, I sent it to my agents. Or I, you know, I told my my TV agents, hey, you know, um, I wrote a book. They're like, really? <laughs> Why? <Wah. laughs> like, right. they're like, what? Um, but they have. Luckily, they had a, a book department in New York. And um, and they were like, well, we'll pass it along there. And um, and yeah. And then the, my agent, um, Eve Adderman, uh, who's my book agent, read it, and she was like, I, I love it. I have some thoughts. Um, and her notes were fantastic. I think her notes really elevated just certain elements of the thriller that I think were like there, but 
Um, and after four months, it took me four months to do because I was planning a wedding and, and writing TV pilots. And, um, but after four months, I sent it back and she was like, this is great. We're going to send it out and see if we get any bites. And um, we sold it in Germany first and then the UK. Uh, I got a two book deal there, and then um, with um, Random House, and then I was lucky enough, lucky enough to get a two book deal um, with Red Hook, which is an imprint of Hachette. So, yeah. So then, it all, <laughs> and then and then and then you go through the rewrite process and the edit process, which is um, definitely different. Rewriting a three hundred page right. <laughs> manuscript as opposed to like a sixty page TV script, but now. I've heard from authors that half of your work is writing the book, the other half is doing publicity for it. Yes. Which is very different from obviously writing in television, where unless you're the showrunner, you don't tend to do that much. I mean, right. if you can, you can. If not, then you know, you're too busy doing other things. But in a book, it's your... Right, it's your baby. Right, and, and they you kind of yeah. have to do And you're the only one who can. What does that look like on your end, with the book coming out, TV, <laughs> it looks hope. like I don't sleep. Um, I, yeah. I, uh, I'm doing like I'm doing just you know it's it's starting to you know kick into gear. So um, you know New York is like hey can you send us you know some a bio or can you send us this? Um, the UK is saying hey can you write something for this or we want to do this interview, which is super exciting because you're like I, I'm a hundred and ten percent aware of how hard it is to publish a book and how you know publicity is not something that you know publishing houses can spend a ton of money on so when they do that means they really believe in you as an author and they believe in you as a you know and they believe in the book so I'm so lucky that they're doing that but it was like like I sent an email at three and then I sent this you know something at three and the three this morning and uh, my publicist wrote back like you know my English publishers publicist obviously it was like crikey it's either like super early or super right. late where you are um, and so I think it's, I mean, it's, it's really just about like knowing that you're not going to get as much sleep, but for me, especially promoting baby doll, like I'm so proud of my TV stuff, but like you said, this is just all of me. And it was, it was such a passion project because I was out of work and I was worried that I wasn't going to work. I mean, everybody, every writer who's out of work worries they're never going to work again, but it's, you know, it's a very scary feeling. And so the book was the one thing that I had that was kind of mine that I was like, okay, I can't control that I didn't get this TV job again or that my, they said no to my pilot, but I can control this. Right. So I'm like, they send me an email and I'm like, I will be there, I will do it, I will whatever interviews, whatever, um, because I want people to know about it and I want people to read it. And also, you know, hopefully like, you can't control how your first book does, but I see this as a long-term career because um, I really do love writing novels. Um, and so I want to set this up where, you know, however well it does, I have a next book and a next book. That's great. That's great. I look at, at, not that I don't respect TV writers. I have a tremendous amount of respect for feature writers and, and TV writers and writers of any kind, really. Yeah. But I look at novelists, authors, with sort of a reverence because I don't know if I could do that. Well, I do too, and I think, you know, there's a huge, and I talk about it a lot because I, I really battled it, the imposter, you know, complex. Like, sure. Like, I don't, and so even hearing you say author, like, I'm like, it's not, you know, it's, it's very, it's something, you know, you kind of like, I think, because it is, you know, I always wanted to write a book, and when I was little, I would like, you know, I like read a journal of mine in like seventh grade. I'm gonna be a novelist, and and you know, it's it's one of those things where you're like, but then you talk yourself out of it, and you're like, it's just so it's so much writing and so much time. Um, 
but it is there's something very freeing about I think even the way you write like the like you know just like not having any rules and not having really any structure and being able to play with that like baby doll is told from the perspective of four different people the twins their mother and the antagonist um, the kidnapper um, and so that was great and now I'm working on my second book and it's all one perspective right so it's like it's it's but then you know there's like it's so it's great sometimes I like miss like being able to tell someone else's story because I'm like oh I love this character um, but it's great to be able to test yourself like that so I think just and you know just constantly knowing that like I think already this book this next book even though I love baby doll is already better you know because I've learned so much and I've done it again yeah constantly growing and yeah and yeah I mean I think that's great um, Let's see. I read somewhere that you've personally written hundreds of internet dating <laughs> profiles yes, for other people. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, never, guess my I never did is, internet dating myself. Is what and how and why? Um, I was obsessed with Craigslist when I was on, like when I was trying to like find a survival job right. like, in the business. I had. Uh, done a lot of waiting tables and a lot of bartending and when I moved to LA it's like the it's just the it's so much harder you make lots less money people are oh you're an actress like you know it was very soul-sucking and so I was always trying to like find like um, and so I found this part-time job that was on Craigslist in the writing section um, which I actually think everybody should look at because you never know what you'll what you'll find there um, <laughs> there's always some interesting job I mean I've written a lot of like copy editing and you know just the most random things but yeah um, this it was a, a website where they a company where people would hire you to like you know people who aren't writers and they were super smart people um, super you know successful but they just they'd be like I'm fun and I like to and um, you know then you have to like you have dogs. like a, yeah exactly and you're like um, and you talk on the phone like you know there were packages and you would talk on the phone for you know 30 minutes to an hour and then you would go away and come back with a profile and you know it was I, I really had like I was really like good at it for a while and I had like a really like like my success rate success rate whatever you know my feedback from my clients is great and then I sort of got a little you know a little bored and like and then you know then I realized I have to stop doing this because I was like oh this person yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think like you gotta like who you're writing about right. so I uh, but it was a great it was a great character study you know because oh, like sure. um, you know and I'm not making fun but you know there's a guy who was like from the Midwest who was like a truck driver who liked fast food and you know train watching <laughs> and Wait, what? like he liked you know train spotting like watching the train I mean it's a whole you okay. know culture I didn't know, I didn't know it either um, but you have to find a way to make that person like as interesting as the CEO of a company sure. or the guy who likes to you know the, the, the woman who likes to jump out of planes and so it was such a great I mean I'm just hearing all these stories and you know or the widower who like has six kids and just wants you know someone to go to the movies with so you know as funny as it was it was still like it was like constant like constant characters so it was a great sort of interim side job well since we're on the topic of internet dating profiles and you're the professional yes uh, ex-professional I get at it I guess <laughs> at it. just for uh, for fun what is one thing that you would say to somebody who's writing their own internet dating profile what would you tell them tell us well tell a story like okay. even if it's like the most adventurous thing you ever did or the last like vacation like because so many people I think in especially people who aren't writers they use vague terms and they don't use specifics about themselves so instead of just saying like 
I love sushi, say, I love the sushi, I love whatever the sushi place you love, you know, because they serve the best blah, blah, blah. And it reminds me of the time I went to Japan and did the, you know what I mean? Like whatever it is. And I think like doing that, like then someone's like, oh my God, I go to that sushi place all the time. Like maybe I've seen this person, you know, like I think it like connects you more emotionally. It's the same way we feel when we're, when we're, when we read someone's writing and it's so specific and detailed as opposed to someone who's just like, you know, girl meets guy, you know? Right. So I think that's like my, as, as a former expert of internet dating profiles, someone who did not do a lot of it. Well, I think that's great though, because it also ties into what you were talking about earlier, we've come full circle to the interview process. Right. Selling yourself instead of saying, I like adventure, saying, you know, I remember, I, I loved traveling through South America and exactly. climbing the, the steps of Machu Picchu or whatever. Ex that's exactly what you do. Because so Absolutely. many people will be like, I love vacation or I love working out. And I'm like, but what it like, what is it that you do when sure. you do this? And and it's amazing when you say that to people, and then they would come, you know, then they would come back with their answers, and you'd be like, well, that's the opening of your profile because someone's going to be much more interested in that than you're just like, I want someone funny, and you're like, okay, well, let's show right. how you want show because your because your type of funny is like Jerry Seinfeld, but my type of fu funny might be like Friends, you know what I mean? And sure. those are very different types absolutely. of humor. So I think even just using references like that, you know, right? Absolutely. Well, I'm. I'm pleased with how we were able to work that I back know, around. I know, full circle, I love it. Yeah. Um, we're, I know you've got important pitch stuff going on <laughs> later today, but I wanted to get um, the, into the section where we call uh, reading, watching, playing, and listening to. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to find out what you're reading, watching, playing, and or listening to. So, um, I'm working very hard to read more um, fiction, nonfiction, um, because I find, you know, sometimes, like when I lived in New York, um, I would read four books a week, um, and now I try to do at least two books a month, three books a month if I can, um, which is good. I mean, it's not as much as because I like devour novels, and I'm a very obsessive reader, so if I love a book, I don't go to bed till I finish it. Um, but I'm reading right now, it's called Ghetto Side. Um, which is a nonfiction novel. It's amazing. My sister uh, read it and she was like, this is your next book. Um, and for some reason, I've really been into a lot of nonfiction, crime fiction, I guess, because I'm writing this stuff. Um, but it's, it's a great book all about, like, um, the murder rate on the South Side and about, like, you know, which is very timely, like, in, you know, South, South Central, um, and about, like, you know, the epidemic of, of black men dying and sort of um, the police, you know, the, the kind of the systemic racism that goes on. And so it's just, but it's just brilliant writing and storytelling and characters. Um, and then I read before that, uh, which is one of my favorite books that I've read in the last year called People Who Eat Darkness, um, which is a fantastic nonfiction novel about um, a woman in England who goes to work um, in Asia and is killed and sort of what happens to her. But those are the, those are, that's what I'm reading, um, watching. I'm in love with, which it's not, like it hasn't yet, but I'm still, um, I'm in love with Underground, which is um, a new series on WGN okay. about the um, Underground Railroad, and it's just fantastic, like storytelling, and they, they use like contemporary music in a way that I think works so well. Um, but it's one of those shows where I feel like especially when you're a TV writer and you write and you read so much, sometimes even a, like sometimes shows you're like, oh, I know what's coming next. And like it's all the expectations. And I feel like they defy that every single episode. Like I know where this. Sh and so the fun of watching a show like that is like I never know where it's going. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, because like, you know, the show starts and it's all about like, you know, this plantation life and these slaves who are planning to run. 
And I'm like, oh, they're going to spend the whole season on this plantation. And then like episode three, they're running. And so then I'm like, well, what now? And how are we going <laughs> to? So I, I think that's one of the most exciting things I'm watching right now. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I haven't seen it. No. <laughs> yeah. um, what are you, are you playing anything? Games? I'm not a gamer. <laughs> okay. Necessarily. No, I'm actually, I, I think if I was a gamer, mm -hmm. it would drastically affect my productivity. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, I'm like, it would, I mean, because I'm such an obsessive person, like, I mean, I watch, you know, hours and hours. I mean, the television's never off in my house. Um, and so I think, and reading and then, you know, writing and, you know, I also do consulting. So I was like, I don't even, when people were like, this game is super realistic. I was like, don't even tell me about it. Right. Because then it'll, um, and when you have, you know, a million deadlines. <laughs> So if you ever, if there's ever a Shadowhunters game, they're like, okay, everyone needs to play this. So we I would do that, and I've definitely like, I've definitely like, you know, I have like plenty of gamer friends, and I know people who like design video games. And I think the cool thing about gaming now is the storytelling opportunities that it offers, and I know they look so realistic. So it's definitely a world that I would be. I, it's not like I'm oppo like opposed to it. I just think like, where would I find the time? Right. <laughs> um, and listen to. You. Are you listening to anything, books on tape? I have or to. It sounds like you just read, so there's no... Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny because I love audiobooks when I when I commute. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been fortunate enough, knock wood, that I haven't had a commute. Because in, in a, Shadowhunters was very close, the writer's room was very close to where I live. And now I'm, you know, I write from home, so I, I like, there's no commuting. Right. Um, and uh, But I do love audiobooks. I have, like... I like and my husband listens to tons of them um I, I like it's funny I have like very simple music taste so I listen to a lot of like uh what's it like singer song right like my playlist would be embarrassing to actually admit and I like well let's hear it we love that <laughs> uh, I mean I don't know like not embarrassing but like I guess it's just not hip you know what I mean like I listen to a lot of old school country like Reba McIntyre and um Trisha Yearwood and, and George Strang, Garth Brooks, those are kind of like my go-tos. Sure. And then, um, like, I love Sarah Bareilles, so like, oh, yeah, she's on my, is. she's on, I'm like obsessed with her, and um, Waitress is um, her new Broadway musical, mm -hmm. um, which I'm going to go to New York just to see. Wow. <laughs> like, it's pretty committed, but I love the soundtrack, so yeah. that's been on rotation, and of course, I, I'm so unoriginal to even say this, but the Hamilton soundtrack obviously is on has been on heavy rotation. So those are kind of the things I listen to. I'm not like I I, I, I listen. <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but I actually keep the TV on for background noise when I write, um, and so that's part of my process. But it can be anything I haven't seen. So it'll be older movies, like usually '90s movies I've seen. But it'll be really random, like Taken is one that I'll put on. Like, okay. Whatever's on, like. Right. Um, and then I find when I'm like on a serious deadline or um, or I'm like just stressed out, I'll turn off the TV and then I'll just put on a Pandora, like singer-songwriter station, and that sort of gets me through. But I'm always, I always admire, and I definitely have some songs that I like listen to, like for Baby Doll, but I always admire writers who like make playlists for their like sure. writing project. And I, that's not really my process. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think music is like, and my husband's like, you don't know anything about music. And I'm like, I don't. I think music doesn't fill me up the same way I think books or TV or great movies movies do. Sure, that's cool. I mean, everyone's yeah. process is different. Absolutely. Um, any good podcasts you listen to? Anything? Your. Oh, awesome. <laughs> we love uh, let's see. Um, on the page is great. Mm -hmm. um, and let's see. I mean, I listened to Serial, obviously, the first season. Like, everyone, right. like, downloaded it. I'm in... I'm early on in the second season. I think it's a little harder because I think... I think 
the the story we know like there's they're not kind of disputing that he did all you know that Bo Ber the story on this serial is about Bo Bergdahl and um, that he left the base and then he was kidnapped you know and held um, but I th so I think it's a little bit harder because it, I think th what made the first season of Serial so interesting was the unknown is he guilty isn't he like in those gray areas in the investigation and I think this feels a little more straightforward and you kind of you don't really have a victim as much because I think the perpetrator is the victim. Right. Um, and we have a hard time wrapping our heads around that. So, but it's still it's still fascinating. Um, so, I don't listen to as many podcasts as as I, as I can because I think like my attention span is I actually have a very short attention span. <laughs> so if I'm in the car and I can't do anything else, but right and without I'm, a commute. Yeah, and when I'm listening, I'm so focused. It, it, I, I can't do anything. So right, I'm the same way. <laughs> I get it. I get totally understand. Um, and lastly, do you have any advice for aspiring writers out there? I do. Uh, and, okay, I'd love to hear. I think here's the thing. I think a lot of writers fall in love with that one thing that they're doing. Right? This script is going to change my life. This feature is going to like. And I think that's. I think in some ways the business is great about you know saying like. She wrote one script and then she, you know, um, but I think to really have longevity in this business, you have to continue and continue and continue to write. And even when I didn't work in TV for two years, and of course that was not my, you know, that was not what I wanted. I wrote a new pilot every three months. Wow. I worked on the book. I was constantly pitching. I think you have to be self-motivated in this business because, you know, even if you have the best agents in the world, like they've got a lot of clients. and. You could be hot one minute straight out of the Warner Brothers workshop or straight off a great show. And if you don't get that next job right away or the show gets canceled or whatever, um, you're not hot anymore and someone else has come along. So you have to constantly create your own opportunities. And for me, that's so important when people are like, I haven't worked in, and I'm like, have you written something new? And I think also like if the thing that you're doing, like if you've been writing TV and it's not working, you can't write a great feature, write a book, write a short story, like write something that sort of shakes you out of that because I think too you get kind of comfortable and like well I know how to do this and, and I think even with TV like I was like I know how to do this I'll write another pilot and in some ways it just starts to feel like you know like rote um, and so shaking it up and getting people excited about you in a different way and my final piece of advice I think is once you start to get into the you know into the business and you get your breaks don't be afraid to say no to things that you don't want to do or don't be afraid to say no I think, I mean, I definitely made that mistake early on about like, you know, saying yes to everything and, and kind of not kind of trusting my gut about what I wanted to do. And I think as I get further along in my career, it's easy to say now. It's hard to say no when someone's like offering you something and you have nothing. Right. Um, but if it's a manager who's not excited about you or wants you to go into a different thing that's not who you are, or it's, a, it's an offer for like they want to buy your show or pay you money, but you know it's not, it's not standard or you know it's like trust that and know that like if someone's interested in that you'll create the thing or someone better will come along and that's I think that's advice that I wished I'd gotten earlier to like not be afraid and um, obviously I've, I've done well and and you know even with making those mistakes but if I could tell anybody that just trust that you're a good enough storyteller that that one piece of material isn't all that defines you. And if it is, if you're still working on that same script for, you know, three years, let it go. <laughs> it can still, I mean, maybe it is the thing that will make you, but maybe it's your madman, right? Which is like, which means it needs to be nine or 10 years after right. you've got that first job. It might be 
too brilliant for where, you know what I mean, for where you are now. Um, because I also think if Matt Weiner had sold Mad Men, you know, when he first wrote it, he didn't have all that experience mm -hmm. behind him. Right. And it wouldn't have been that, you know, nuanced, complex show where he could call all the shots and run it and really make it an auteur's vision. And right. so I think, I think that's really important. Absolutely. Well, that's all great advice. Thank you. Um, and you, you can follow Holly on Twitter. It's at Holly Overton, and that's H-O-L-L-I. Yes. A-P-E-R-T-O-N. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for coming Thank you very show, much. I enjoyed it. Um, and if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thank you all for listening.